Welcome to another podcast from the campus of South Mims U, one of the UK's fastest growing academic institutions. As ever, we're in temporary accommodation here at the Black Horse Pub, but once we have planning permission for our brand new buildings, we'll be moving into state-of-the-art facilities which will rival any in the world. For now, though, we're in this cosy upstairs room with the scent of some fine local ale rising from the cellars and the fragrant smell of warming pies from the busy kitchen. So forgive any extraneous noise. It's all part of the adventure and atmosphere here at South Mims U. Today, we're going to be talking about pornography. Not your common or garden variety that is so easily stumbled across on the internet when you're innocently searching for the, for the meaning of the word dogged or looking for a particular style of leash for your pooch, but a more refined kind. It's a joint project between our Cultural Studies Department and our MBA programme. Sounds strange? Well, it did to me when I first heard about it. To explain is our lecturer in entrepreneurship, Tara Anderson. Tara, um, <laughs> can I say you look rather fetching in that sweeping Victorian-style dress? Is there a reason why you're wearing it? Do you like all the ruffles? They're nice, aren't they? <laughs> Indeed, but, but perhaps it's not suited for the demands of modern living. Getting on a bus to Potter's Bar with that dress must be a challenge. It's very easy to get out of. Out of? You'd be surprised. A simple twirl of a few hooks and a button or two and the dress just falls too. Falls off. Does it? But you're wondering why exactly I'm wearing it. Oh, I am, yes. Let's leave that as a little... Surprise, a tease, if you will. Uh, let's. Let me go back to the beginning. I was looking for a project to set my students, an entrepreneurial project that could actually generate some income for South Mims. We are, like most other academic institutions, short of money. We are, yes, there's no doubting that. So I thought, what's one of the things that always generates income? One is food, the other is greed, and the third is... Uh, fear? No, sex. Sex is fundamental. Oh, of course, yes, yes, sex, sex. Sex sells. That's the oldest cliché in the book. Sex has always sold. Sex can even sell religion. Religion? Think of all those medieval religious paintings with scantily clad nymphs and madonnas with eye-catching décollage... Decollage? A low neckline like this one. Oh, yeah, yes, yes, I see. Uh, decollage. Of course. You see how it's designed to catch the male gaze and direct it downwards? You see that? Uh, 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 of course. Yes, yes, I, I see. Why uh, did those great painters of the Renaissance do that? Why did they have the baby Jesus sucking at the tit, the mother of God, with the tit so well-defined... It's nipple, so perky, so... I, I see what you mean. Yes, you've made your point vividly. Sex. That's the point. Churches full of naked nymphs and well-muscled heroes in exaggerated poses. What does that remind you of? Indeed, yes. It's porn by another name. Well, perhaps the churches themselves might not have thought of it that way. Deep down they did. What do you think those sleek, cool marble statues of women with perfect asses were for? Very tactile, especially of an evening when the church is closed, and all those celibate priests? Come on. OK, OK, but, but, but what has this to do with the project? Uh, 
and that dress. Porn is eternal. Deep caves where prehistoric man and women hung out, covered in porn. Roman houses and villas, porn. Medieval castles, churches and forts, porn. Not the kind we might recognise, but visual representations of human beauty and or fornication. Why? To stimulate the constant need, the urgent urge to think about sex. It's innate. No use denying it. You don't deny it, do you? No, no, of course not. But we don't really equate that ancient porn with modern porn. Modern porn is more vivid, more available, more, well, let's be honest, more commercial. It's money, pure and simple. In the past, it wasn't money. It was, it was art, and it was a worship of a fundamental aspect of being human. So uh, sex became commodified? Definitely. And that happened with the advent of capitalism. Irresistible. Sure. Sorry, I'm all over the place. Let's focus in on Victorian London. Please. The main centre of the Victorian porn industry was in the theatre district, the West End, the Strand, Soho. The theatres were a prime focus for porn. The plays with scantily clad actresses, the shops with so-called forbidden books and sets of engravings for sale, the stages you had to go through, the slightly titillating stuff in the front, then a series of backrooms where stuff got more serious and more expensive. It was a world inhabited by wealthy men. The girls were poor. They could only make ends meet by going on the stage, becoming actresses in quotes, and doing tricks in theatre boxes, dressing rooms, or the townhouses of important men. Which is why, in Victorian literature, the actress, in quotes, was always a trope for the fallen woman, in quotes. Let's assume the quotes from now on, shall we? Uh, uh, Yes, yes. Uh, Now, a lot of this stuff was in French. French. Another way of making it exotic and expensive. Indeed, the French. Mm, Yes, the French. So, the actresses... The plays were just as thin, plot-wise, as a classic 70s porn movie. The actresses wore revealing costumes and there was always an excuse for them to disrobe. There's a good quote which describes it from the perspective of the the time. Can I read it? Yeah, please do. The youth, this is the young man that the writer fears will fall under the influence of the actresses on the stage. So, the youth becomes more or less enamoured of a singing chambermaid or a leading lady, both of whom display their personal attractions and appear in some thrilling scene clad in white robe, their hair flowing loosely in extravagant luxuriance down their backs, white arms bared to the shoulder, neck and bosom by no means jealously guarded from the vulgar gaze. He loses his head in the enchantment of their presence and carries away a mental impression of her, which can do him no good and may do him much harm. Well, it's a strong mental image. Of the actress or the youth? Well, both. There was a kind of faux moral panic about the world of the theatre, with clergymen campaigning to get the places of what they called loose reading shut down. There were many of them around the Strand, and they offered pictures of up-and-coming young actresses to gentlemen who might not only go and see the plays they were in, but to take them under their wing and sponsor their careers, if you see what I mean. I think I do. Basically, the action... profession of an actress was linked to that of a prostitute. There you are, you get it. Those 
cl- clergymen, did they try and shut down the theatres? The business was too strong, the money too easy. And if there's one thing that Victorian Britain was good at, it was overcoming moral fears by making money. Think colonialism, mass production, child labour, that kind of thing. Porn was no different. A lot of moral panic, but little action. Though the clergyman did have a lot to say, one worried out loud about the moral damage done by, quote, the half-dress, the indecent attitudes and postures, the lewd looks and embraces and the unfolding of a plot for the corruption and overthrow of the pure and innocent, end quote. Well, you can imagine what that all meant. Oh, yeah, yes, yes, I can. I can imagine. You see, there's the point I'm making. It's got you intrigued, let's say. Well, it would, wouldn't it? It doesn't feel like modern porn. That's so in your face. This is different. It's a little more special, don't you think? I wouldn't know. Wouldn't you, really? Uh, Well, we have different views on, on what they call moral corruption, don't we? I mean, now, now I mean. We do. But in those days, the corruption was physical. The prevalence of sexually transmitted diseases was higher and many stories ended with the literal decomposition of either the male, who fell for the actress, or the whore herself. Just like in Emile Zola's Nana. A French book. A French classic and quite titillating in parts. But it ends badly. Spoiler alert, she dies. So so you've, you've examined the materials found in these shops? I have. Huh? Now they're considered historical artefacts, which they are. It'll be interesting in a hundred years if old porn websites will be looked upon with the same cultural reverence. I doubt it. They are amusing. The Victorian artefacts, I mean. They have titles like L'Amour Corrige. My French isn't what it used to be. Love corrects. Right, right. The corrects part obviously suggests a little punishment, but it's playful. Uh, okay. The English ones are a little more direct. There's, do you like it this way, eh? Or, I hope nobody's coming. Almost carry-on film style, don't you think? Like seaside postcards. Exactly, though they did try to be tasteful too. They posed women to look like the paintings I mentioned earlier, And as photography got better and easier, there were more and more postcards printed with supposedly classical poses of naked or scantily clad women. And, of course, in the back room of the shops, you got the hardcore stuff. I see. And then came along film. Let me guess. Some of the very first movies ever made were pornographic. Yes, like I said, Every cultural technology is immediately appropriated by the sex industry, and then you can achieve economies of scale. Cheaper, better, faster printing meant that by the end of the 19th century, naughty postcards, by that I mean those photos of nude women and sexual acts, were being sold for 15 shillings for 36 poses. Poses? Girls on horses, girls on the trapeze, Girls on beds, on benches, being gymnasts, scantily clad, you can imagine it. Girls on bicycles? Ah, yes, there were girls on bicycles. Now, the working classes could buy this stuff, and that's when the real moral panic began. Poor people looking at porn, disgraceful. Young men with little education, dangerous. 
naughty postcards for sale in corner tobacconists' shops. Terrible. So the laws got more strict. One tobacconist, a Mr P.J. Huardell of High Holborn, was prosecuted for having 27,550 naughty postcards in his possession in 1903, but only 386 of them were deemed to be totally obscene. So the rest were merely... Titillating. That's a good word, isn't it? It really needs to make a comeback. The upper-class clientele still got their more expensive materials with titles like Flossy, A Venus at Fifteen and Sweet Seventeen, the true story of a daughter's awful whipping and its delightful, if direful, consequences. I like that title a lot. Well, it's certainly a comprehensive title, one that raises all kinds of very modern moral dilemmas. Indeed. Now, I think... I get, we get the point about the sex industry from ancient times to the early industrial, but what does this actually have to do with your entrepreneurial programme? We want to bring back Victorian porn, not for the sake of it, but because it's a new kind of erotica. Erotica is a better word. Mm. Mm. Are you talking about recreating Victorian scenes with um, Victorian-style costumes and poses? Girls on trapezes and... Bicycles. Bicycles, yes, perhaps, in the mix of images. Girls on bicycles would be good. Mm, it's an intriguing idea. I like it. But it's not just a Victorian shtick we're after. Shtick? A special kind of approach or, you know, our thing. The thing we do well. Shtick. So it's not a Victorian shtick... Predominantly. Not predominantly, no. It's a mix of classical, of ancient nymphs and goddesses, gods and warriors. I see. It was inspired by a little book the philosopher Alain de Bouton wrote for his School of Life series, How to Think More About Sex. Oh, I missed that book. It's a short book, but it makes a good point. Erotica has always been a part of our lives. Maybe I should have been using that word more. What we're talking about is erotica. It's making a comeback. There are podcasts with erotic stories. There are prints that are erotic rather than pornographic. I don't think we should go into the finer details of what separates the two on this show. No, perhaps not. Let's say it's all about feeling, sensuality and connection rather than anatomy. Even though anatomy... In itself, sensual, yes. It's how you do it that counts, as the old saying goes. It's an eternal truth. But surely there's lots of erotica around already. There isn't enough. Alain Dupouton makes a point that the exploitative graphic porn has overwhelmed the great tradition, the very human tradition, of erotica. So it's hard to find, and it's expensive when you do find it. My MBA class wants to bring it back. It's the kind of thing you might pitch on Dragon's Den, I suppose. Indeed. And for the American listeners, that's the Shark Tank. Same format. I think we can package up something that delivers erotica at reasonable rates, or, better still, get sponsorship. We're still working on the business model, 
it is an MBA course after all. But MBAs are all hyper-capitalists, aren't they? I mean, the way you've been talking, it seems like you're not a big fan of the free market. It's a fair free market, a market that works for everyone. That's what I think our MBA programme at South Vimsu delivers. I want that to make us different from the other programmes, the Harvards, the London Business Schools of kind of programme. We're different here. Um, um, but isn't, isn't there a problem, though? What kind of problem? Well, well, perhaps we shouldn't be talking about this in the podcast, actually. No, we can talk about anything you want to. Is this about the bicycle? No, 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 no. Uh, who will be the models? Uh, I mean, you can't enlist our students. Uh, I mean, we have rules about that sort of thing. Like I said, we're refining the business plan before we test market it. Uh, and there are policies about, I mean, safeguarding, and about uh, all that sort of stuff, aren't there? This will be inclusive, fair, open, and we hope accommodate every gender. Every gender? Facebook says there's 72 genders. Well, that's complicated, isn't it? No, it's an opportunity. Think of it. 72 niche markets for classical erotica. We'd never run out of nuanced, even bespoke product. It's like Nike offering you the chance to customise your trainers online. They do that? Dude, (laughs) when was the last time you bought trainers? I don't wear trainers. You need to lighten up. I tell you what, one of our first projects will be girls on bicycles. No, no, that's okay. I I don't have a thing about girls on bicycles. I should say women on bicycles. I don't have a thing for women on bicycles. I've got a lot of ideas. That penny farthing gives us many possibilities. A woman in a dress high up on the seat, the man looking up. Perfect. No, no, please, please, it's OK. Uh, I'm just worried that how the programme will be perceived by the educational authorities. As if we care about them. Here at South Mims U, we're proud to be different. Uh, I think we need to be careful uh, about this and think very carefully. But Tara, uh, it's been a very interesting conversation. Oh, it's going to be big. Ah, it'll help generate the funds we need to get our new campus built. South Mims U, the University Erotica, erected. I like that. Uh, thank you, Tara. Nymphs go mountain biking, erotic geography. Like it. Thank you very much for listening. Uh, please subscribe to our podcast and look out for the coming of uh, arrival of new episodes. I think you like that idea, don't uh, please, you? Please, Tara.